Welcome back, and thanks for listening, as No Junk Mail presents Conspiracy, read to you by James R. Vonfelt. It's a conspiracy. The words stop conversation all around us. For an instance, the gas and grill stood still. But then, as usual, Sally's serving and conversation picked up at the different tables. I noticed a few glances coming our way. Larry Kramer and his oldest son, Nate, had driven up from Jonesboro, Arkansas, to the John Deere factory in Ottumwa. They watched their new windrower come off the assembly line the day before. Larry is Evelyn's first cousin, but she and Bart were in Des Moines. They stayed with us overnight. Dixie and I were treating them to a first-class gas-and-grill breakfast. The works had been served, and the conversation was flowing. Conspiracy? What do you mean, Nate? I countered. Larry was rolling his eyes. I'd bet he'd heard a lot about the conspiracy on the drive up to see us. Well, it's like this, Nate continued. Our two kids are in school now, and we're concerned about their education. Me and Lottie read that they aren't going to be teaching the kids anything about American history anymore. An article said there is a conspiracy to dumb our kids down so they won't know how to read or write or know anything about their American heritage. Not only that, there was a big headline recently. One of the eastern states pulled textbooks out of the schools because of a conspiracy. The Novaks next door are concerned, too. They said there's going to be a meeting at school. A lot of people are concerned. Sally was serving another round of coffee and heard everything. She jumped right in. My daughter Louise teaches high school. She keeps me up to date with things going on. Says kids today don't read books or write as much as they used to, even in the last five years. But I wouldn't call that a conspiracy. I think it has to do with how things are changing. Computers, Facebook, cell phones, and all that. Right then another voice rang out. Conspiracy! Let me tell you about the greatest conspiracy of all. Nate was becoming the center of attention. Leon Kramer, a retired professor from Buena Vista University, was taking slow steps towards our table, aided by his walker. Have you ever heard of Dr. Mary, he said in his gravelly voice. Leon had everybody's attention. No one responded. How about Dr. Mary's monkeys? Not a sound was heard. Well, let me tell you about the greatest conspiracy ever. It starts out with the mysterious death of the scientist, Dr. Mary. She set up a secret research lab in New Orleans. The lab was financed by funds from NSA, one of the spook agencies. Turns out she was studying monkey viruses that caused cancer. Her close friend and associate, also a budding scientist, was her key technician. Dr. Mary was on to something big. 
Big Pharma, competitors, the mafia got wind of her work. To complicate things, it just so happens that Dr. Mary's assistant was dating Lee Harvey Oswald. So Dr. Mary meets up with all of the characters around him. There are infamous assassinations. The Kennedys, Jack Ruby, Saran Saran, and others you've heard of. It becomes a global intrigue. It's the greatest conspiracy story I've ever read. Leon was standing in front of Nate with a big grin on his face. Nate didn't know how to take it. Is it true, he said? Son, all good stories start with bits and pieces that are true. It's after that when our imaginations take flight and excitement causes us to lose track. That's when things get muddled. Frosty, Leon, and Judy Kramer were sitting at the next table, taking it all in. Well, I've got a better one than that, Frosty piped up. And it happened right over there in Buchanan County, pointing his hand to the northeast. It all started when the centralized school movement began in the early 50s. You know, when our one-room schoolhouses were dumped and we were all forced to send our kids to the school in Bloomfield. It was a time of turmoil here. Some people aren't over it yet. We were in on the beginning of the movement back in 55. Well, Hazleton, Stanley, and Oldwine were three small towns situated fairly close together. They were very independent and had a fierce three-way competition going. They saw the opportunity to improve their school systems. By then, the state was openly giving all kinds of incentives to get rid of the one-room schools. The problem was the fierce rivalry between the towns. They couldn't agree on anything. Oldwine is four miles north of Hazleton. It was the largest town, still is. It had the railroad terminal, more and bigger stories. Thought it should control everything, including the proposed consolidated school. First, all three towns had to pass a referendum to build and send their kids to the new school. Second, a superintendent and a new board of education had to be elected. The fight was on for what would be the biggest single economic unit in the area. Politicians in Hazleton and Stanley weren't going to put up with being pushed around. They negotiated fiercely. Names of Hazleton and Stanley politicians were put on the ballot, along with several from Old Wine. However, the politicians from Old Wine were crafty. Secretly, they bribed the Amish to join in the voting. Normally, Amish don't vote. They were promised that if they would vote for certain people for the school board, they wouldn't have to worry about sending their kids to the new public school. They could keep on using their one-room schools. Well, when the election came, carloads of Amish voted. That was a first. 
The election put the old wine politicians in office. The Hazelton and Stanley people were outraged. Well, time goes by. The new school buildings were built, teachers hired, and the new schools opened for business. However, bitterness aimed primarily at the Amish was not forgotten. In fact, that was when the conspiracy was hatched. Harlan Lemon was openly hostile to the Amish after the election. He was particularly embarrassed when he wasn't elected to the school board. By 1965, however, he was county attorney in Buchanan County and had clout. As time went by, the Hazelton Stanley politicians plotted their revenge. New elections were coming around. They electioneered hard and got the controlling vote on the Board of Education. Arthur Sensor was superintendent. Now comes payback time. We've got the law on our side, Lemon said. And he was right. Iowa's law said you have to send your kids to public school. Harlan Lemon, now county attorney, and Sheriff Byer visited the Amish, told them they had to send their kids to the public school. The Amish felt betrayed. They'd been promised they could stay in their own school. Their religious beliefs were that they should teach their own children. They were not going to cooperate. In November of 65... A yellow bus, accompanied by the sheriff's car, quietly ambles up to the little Amish schoolhouse. Sheriff Byer and truant officer Snively go inside, and they ordered the children to get on the bus. When the kids get outside, someone yells, Run! And 37 first to eighth graders take off in all directions, screaming and yelling. Sheriff Byer and truant officers caught two kids, Emmanuel Bontrager, age 13, and Sarah Schmucker, age 6. All the rest disappeared into the corn patch. Oh, one other thing. Attorney Lemon had notified the old wine newspaper of what they planned to do. Reporters had showed up, including reporters from the Des Moines Register. Well, the reporters had a field day. Thomas Defoe, a Des Moines Register photographer, took a picture of the kids fleeing into the corn patch. The image and story were picked up in Life magazine and other national periodicals. This picture was going to lift a national outcry for religious freedom that was heard in Iowa as well as across the nation. We all saw it. County Attorney Lemon and Sheriff Byer were embarrassed big time. The surprise visit didn't work, but that didn't deter the group, which now included the school superintendent and principal, the county attorney, the justice of the peace, the sheriff, the truant officer, and others. 
they were incensed. The Amish were breaking the law. They were publicly flaunting the law. Their next step was to issue fines. That was done by Justice Minnie Wingert. The fine was $24 per kid per day for each day they didn't go to the public school. It amounted to $888 a day. Well, the Amish didn't have the money to pay, and on top of that, they said if they had it, they wouldn't pay. The daily unpaid fines grew and grew. A few weeks went by. Then Amish corn, pigs, and other farm products were confiscated and then auctioned to pay the fines. It was frustrating. The Amish still refused to send their kids to school. But their breaking the law was Lemon's continuing mantra. Then he had a great idea. An appointment was made to enlist the aid of Lawrence Scalise, the state attorney general in Des Moines. County Attorney Lemon, Sheriff Byer, and truant officer Snively flew to Des Moines. In the meeting, they made their case. Attorney General Scalise, himself a graduate from an Iowa one-room school, denied their cause and cautioned them not to manhandle those Amish kids. But they're breaking the law, Lemon countered. Their cause fell on deaf ears. Then we'll go see the governor, was Lemon's response. So, right over to the state house they went. They didn't have an appointment, so they had to wait. But they were on a mission. They were not going to give up. Governor Harold Hughes welcomed them into his office. After a bit of polite conversation, asked them what he could do for them. According to the account in the Des Moines Register, Harlan Lemon said, We need 34 Army Reserve soldiers, one for each kid. It's to escort Amish kids to our public school. They won't go. They're breaking the law, and the attorney general won't help us. In the Des Moines Register story, the governor denied their request and sent them home after a lecture on public trust and sensibility to the religious feelings of the plain people. The story in the Register added embarrassment, but they were not beaten. They fought on. There was another surprise visit with the bus to the Amish schoolhouse. This time, the sheriff got all the kids on the bus, and they went to school. The kids cried, they screamed, and resisted every inch of the way. It was such a hassle, the sheriff quit trying. Publicity from the Des Moines Register got the ball rolling. Back in the state house, activity to change the law began. It took two years, but it was decisive. The state education law was changed. Mennonite were given a dispensation from attending public school in Iowa based on their religious beliefs and lifestyle. So, when the bill passed in 67... The governor flew to Hazleton for a meeting. 
They say 20 reporters from across the nation were at the meeting. It was national news. Hughes was a very popular governor and was well-respected. He congratulated the town for their progressive attitude in educating their children. He also reminded them of their responsibilities to minorities, such as the Amish. Seems like after that, some of the Amish moved to Wisconsin. They had the same problem there with compulsory public school education law. In 72, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that the Mennonites have the First Amendment right to practice their religious education without government interference. It ended well. Well, Larry slid his chair back and stood up. Then he said, I don't know where you guys get all the time to follow conspiracies. Nate and I have to get back home. We've got corn seed to get in the ground. As Sally topped off his coffee cup, she said, That's no conspiracy. It's a business plan. Well, that's it for now. From where the corn grows tall and pigs fly. Take care. All my love, Grandpa Jim.